This morning we are going to continue our study of this series entitled Our Comfort, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. And in our second part of the series we're going to be looking at the breath of God that comes from 2 Timothy 3 verses 14 through 17. Um, The scriptures are like a window looking into the heart of God and also into the face of Christ. There were two scholars who were experts on windows. They went into a room to discuss their mutual interest. And there was a large bay window in the room that looked out upon a magnificent beach scene. Of course, I love beach scenes. And uh, one man commented on the construction of the window. He said, in all my years of reading and studying windows, that window was properly sealed with putty. And the other man protested. No, it should be sealed with a more modern silicone. And after debating this back and forth, one man claimed, you must be a siliconist. And the other proudly replied, yes, I'm a hyper-post-siliconist. And you, my fellow scholar, are a historic pre-puttiest. Now the battle was on. Who was right and who knew the most about windows? And then a little boy uh, interrupted these two men. He came in and he came up to the window and he looked at the, the scene that was there and he goes, look, look, the beach, it is beautiful. Uh, the sun is out, the sky is blue and the waves are gently crashing on the white sand and, and look at the the birds that are uh, floating through the air. I want to go to the beach. Well, one man reacted. He said, well, I don't go to the beach. He said, uh, I don't go to the beach because I don't like to get sand between my toes. And the other one sort of agreed and, and said, well, yeah, I, 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 me too, but he says, You know, if you go out into the sun, you're likely to get cancer. So, what's the moral of my story? Is that one day at the beach is far better than a month of debating futile and endless things like hyper-post-siliconus and historic pre-puttius. Some see window frames, while others see the beauty of creation through windows. Some some sadly read, study, and debate the Bible, but they can't see through the windows of Scripture, the face of Christ, and into the heart of God. And that is why we are peering into the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian. And the window that is open for us is in the inspired word of God. 
The spirit and the word are intricately and inseparably connected. And believing in the doctrine of scripture, the inerrancy of the scripture, inspiration of the scripture, are an essential truth and part of our faith. Here is the Reverence Bible Church statement of faith. I don't know if you've ever seen it. You should. If you haven't read it, we will. And uh, let's read this together. There's still more to, to read, but let's begin. Let's read it out down together. We believe the scriptures, consisting of the 39 books of the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New Testament to be inspired word of God. Without error in the original writings, the complete revelation of God's will for the salvation of men and for the divine. The scriptures are the authoritative, normative rule and guide of all Christian life, practice, and doctrine. They are totally sufficient. And must not be added to, superseded, or changed by later tradition, extra-biblical revelation, culture, or worldly wisdom. You are fortunate to belong to a church that has such a statement. Maybe that's why you have reverence, what? Bible church. Because it is critical to our thinking and our being together. Now, Paul writes his second letter to Timothy, his young son in his faith, to urge him to follow his example by sharing in his sufferings as well as continuing in these teachings of Paul. And Paul also warned Timothy about the coming of difficult days. He said, all who desire to live godly would be persecuted. There would be spiritual imposters in this day who are self-deceived as well as deceiving others. So Paul passionately called Timothy, the church, and Christians to teach and preach the word of God in these difficult days without compromise. And as we look at our text this morning, We can hear Paul's passion and his confidence in the reliability, in the authority of the infallible word of God. In our text this morning, we're going to learn some wonderful things about the Bible. Let us read together these two verses. But as for you... Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Now the scriptures are referred to as sacred, sacred writings. And Paul has urged Timothy to continue 
in those scriptures that were so formative in his life. The things that he learned from his grandmother and his mother. From Lois, his grandmother, and Eunice, his mother. You see, Timothy's family faith became his own. I want to just pause here for a moment to sort of camp in on that, di- that idea. To talk about the importance of these sacred writings that have been passed down to us. I want to encourage parents and grandparents. Never underestimate your influence on your children and grandchildren. I'm a father of three wonderful women and I'm a proud grandfather of 14 grandkids. Your faithful commitment to live for Christ can have a lifelong impact that will last for generations to come. Don't underestimate your part in their lives. My great, great grandfather, Norman Lamont, made a commitment to Christ and to sobriety at a very young age. And that was a radical commitment he made in the city that was known for Johnny Walker whiskey. I've read his letter. And he later became an elder in the Kilmarna Scottish Church. And I've been in that church. And I was able to read the old manuscripts that recorded some of his sayings, teachings, and some of his uh, ministry as an elder. Thanks, great, great grandpa Lamont for his faithfulness. My great grandfather, Grandpa Longley, had a great impact on me as a young boy. One day was I was with him in the kitchen. He was making coffee. And he said, Look, look at this coffee pot. You put water in it first. Then you put coffee grounds in the top, and then you light the burner. You didn't have one of those fancy ones. You know, he had to light it with a match. And then he says, and in a little while, the water will boil, and then it'll bubble, and then it'll filter in through the coffee, and uh, you'll have coffee in the pot. And then he explained to me, I'll never forget this. He says, that's how the Holy Spirit works in us. He bubbles up in us and then filters throughout our lives. Thanks, Grandpa Longley, for your faithfulness. Grandma Grace Price died before I was born. She was small in stature, but she was huge in faith. She uh, used to have a designated prayer closet. And she gave strict instructions to her family. Not to be disturbed even if relatives come to visit us. So there, if the door is closed, don't miss. 
I am so glad for the faith of grace. My grandmother, Smith, she referred to me as her third son. She had two, but I was thrown in extra. And as a little boy, I remember how often she invited me to kneel next to her when she prayed. And her Bible, which we've gone through, was marked up so much that there really wasn't any place that didn't have something on every page. And she faithfully prayed for me until the day she died. Thanks for Irene Smith's faith. But before she died, she asked her sister Mildred, Mildred Dozier, to keep praying for me. And she did. She sent me letters with prayers in them and scripture until the day she died. Thanks for Aunt Mildred. My father and mother were incredible Christian parents. Um, my father was a businessman, but he was also a man of God. And I remember coming to him one day, and I asked the question, um, what more do we need to do in our salvation? And he quickly and assuredly answered me by quoting a scripture verse. Christ died once for sinners. That's it, Don. My mother was a fun-loving Christian. And her Bible also was filled with notes and underlying. But in high school, I broke my parents' heart. I broke their heart when I walked away from Christ. But fortunately for me, God did not walk away from me. I was seriously dating a beautiful young Mormon girl who had the distinction of being named Mrs. Fullerton. So when I graduated from high school, I reluctantly and defiantly attended a conference in the Midwest sponsored by my parents' church. I thought if I go there, I don't have to go to the meetings. I can, you know, go around the city. I can do whatever I'd like. Well, it didn't work out that way. We got snowed in. (laughs) And one night, there was a young evangelist you may have heard of, William Graham. And he spoke to a crowd of over 12,000 university students. And I remember this, if you've ever seen pictures of his ministry, that he had his finger like that, you know, and uh, that he was uh, pointing out and making emphatic his message. And he said this, If there is anyone here tonight, you know, who is convicted of sin, I want you to stand right where you are right now. Well, I was sitting up there. If there's anybody here tonight, <laughs> yike, how did he know? And the Spirit of God was so convicting. He was prodding me that almost without thinking, I stood up and I looked around. I didn't see anybody. It was a Christian conference, for heaven's sake. What was I doing there? 
and I ran out of the arena and I went to a payphone to call my parents. Uh, collect, of course. And when they answered, I said to them, Dad and Mom, I gave my life to Christ tonight. And there was silence. And then I heard gulps, cries, and shouts of joy. Because the prodigal had finally come home. Thanks for Ray and Thelma's unfailing love for Christ and for me. My family's faith has become my own. It's become the faith of my three daughters. And it's becoming the faith of my grandchildren. And that's what I'm praying for. Now, the only reason I share my background with you is to encourage you. To encourage you not to give up on your kids. Or grandkids. Prodigals are brought to their knees by your faithful prayers, your constant love, and the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Don't give up. That's in essence what Timothy's saying, or Paul's telling Timothy. Remember what you learned. Remember that's part of you. Remember what I've taught you. We're also taught about the scriptures that they are sacred Paul is referring to the holy scriptures of the Old Testament that was Timothy's Bible for the most part and the word Bible what does that mean book the Bible means book it is a holy book It's holy because it came by the authority of a holy God who tells sinners how they can be declared holy by faith in the Holy One of Israel, Jesus Christ. And the cross is the wisdom of God and not the wisdom of men. That's why the scriptures are so necessary. And that's why on the Cover, I think, of most people's Bibles. What does it say on there? Holy Bible. We're told that the scriptures are breathed out. That all scriptures are breathed out. What does that mean? All scriptures are inspired by the initiative and the breath of God. This word breath can also be called the wind, sometimes translated in some of our Bibles as inspired by God. But it never is a reference to being perspired or a scripture that comes from the emotions or the sweat and effort of man. All scripture is inerrant. Why? Because they are of divine origin. They come from a holy God. All scripture is the complete and final revelation of God. All the scripture is the final authority for faith, doctrine, and practice. That's why we call this reverence Bible church. 
The Apostle John tells us that the Bible was written so we may believe that Jesus Christ, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by leaving, believing you may have eternal life. Where do we learn about eternal life? Through the Word. All Scripture is the power of God for salvation when the Holy Spirit is using it and it's under His authority. I could give you two quick examples. Romans 1, 6. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. If evangelism, if our testimony to family, friends, the world, is the sharing of the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit, then we must be men and women of the word. Now the process that the Holy Spirit used in conveying or communicating to the uh, authors of Scripture, Peter says that it is being carried along by the Spirit. Let's read that Scripture. I'll read it to you. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever uh, produced by the will of man, but by men's spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moved men to record exactly what God wanted to say to us. The scriptures were not the work of someone's own initiative or interpretation. The scriptures were not written by human will, but by the will of God. Think of the book you hold, and you have. Simply stated, it's a word from God. The scriptures were written as the Holy Spirit carried along the human authors by divine guidance and supervision. In other words, the Spirit was like the wind of God that fills the sails of a boat, the lives of the authors, and then he moved them across the sea. And the scriptures were written so that God communicated to us exactly what he wanted to say through the authors. Follow this last thought. He, what he wanted to say through the authors while still using their unique personality, language, and grammar. That's important to remember about what we believe. Let me just quickly illustrate that for you. As every musician in an orchestra plays the notes that are written for them on the score before them, so each author of the Bible played their part and they, the Holy Spirit breathed through them the music of the gospel. 
And the beauty of orchestral music is the beauty of the harmony and the melody that can be produced by having various musicians all under the same direction and the same conductor. And the Bible reveals the heart of God through the music of the gospel directed by the Holy Spirit. Now God has very clearly spoken to us. And that is for sure. We read in Hebrews long ago at many times and in many ways. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these days, in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. Our God is a communicator. He reveals his heart, his mind, his plans, his pleasure. And God has clearly spoken by inspiration of the scriptures as well as by the incarnation of Jesus Christ, who is the word of God. Let me just ask you a question. What more could God say to us than what he's already clearly revealed to us in his word? And his son. His son has revealed his love, his grace, and so does the scriptures. Nothing more need be said, but believed. And God entrusted his oracles to the Jews, to Israel. The Jews were entrusted, it says, with the oracles of God. This is a reference again to the Old Testament scripture, which Paul is calling the oracles of God. He also called them, as we said, sacred writings. Now these are the oracles of God. And what does that mean? That means the sayings of God, the words of God, the thoughts of God. The Jews, like us, put them on their walls, uh, in their libraries, and on their coffee tables. I don't know if they actually had coffee tables, but I'm just kind of thinking maybe they had to have something like that. Because they were a national treasure. Unfortunately, they didn't treasure or even read them after a while. At one time in their history, we're told that the scrolls of these scriptures were hidden in the temple. In the back closet of the church. The temple. And they were forgotten. How could you do that? However, God protected them, preserved them, and had them brought out again. How sad to have the oracles of God and not read them. We know as well that God put his word in the mouth of the prophets. That's how it's described. We read about that for Jeremiah. Then the Lord put out his hand and he touched Jeremiah's mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Here's how Martin Luther spoke about the Bible in his life. The Bible is alive, he said. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. That's what the scriptures are to do. The Bible is reliable because God personally protected it and preserved it from error and corruption. 
And we can also be confident that every promise in the Bible will be fulfilled because it comes from the mouth of God. And we can be assured that the Bible will continue to stand forever against all the powers of hell and earth that wish to destroy it. The gates of Hades will not prevail against his church and the word of God. Now at this point in our study, we're going to see how the scriptures that we've talked about that are breathed by God apply to each of us and to our beloved church. We are told that the scriptures are profitable. He says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for four things. Teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. The scriptures are profitable for teaching. For example, on a personal level, the Bible tells us to learn and to memorize the scriptures to keep us from self-deception and sin. That's how David prayed in Psalm 119.11. He said, I have stored up Or I have treasured your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, Lord. The scriptures are powerful. That's why it's so important, parents, to teach our children the word of God. Thank God for the Sunday school teachers here. Who have a part in the life of a a, a child or a youth worker. Or women's ministry, men's ministry, and all the ministries here. Teaching is important. As it relates to our church, the scriptures make it very clear. Hear me out. In Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, the place that he loved, the leaders, elders that he loved. That's what he said. We are to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing, being patient, holding up with one another in love. Eager. Eager. To maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. My friends, that's our mission. That's what the scriptures are teaching us. That's what I'm praying for. If we love the Lord, we will each do all we can to preserve the love and unity of this church. The church you have loved and enjoyed for, what, almost 10, 12 years. That's what I'm praying for. I'm committed to grace. I'm committed to moving on. The scriptures are also profitable for reproof. Another word would be conviction or godly sorrow. Or exposing our own improper motivations. Hurtful words and sinful deeds. 
That's what the scriptures do. It's like a, isn't that what Peter said? It's like a sword that pierces to the innermost part of our being. Well, that's what it does. And if we are not daily reading our own Bibles, we are prone to conveniently focus on the faults and failures of others while neglecting to take the huge beam out of our own eye. I think I heard that somewhere from a teacher in the Bible. I turned to Martin Luther again because he's really good on Scripture. He said, he confessed, I stand convicted by the Scriptures to which I have appealed and my conscience is taken captive by God's Word. I cannot and will not recant anything. On this I take my stand. I can do no other. God help me. And he paid the price. But what happened? A reformation had spread around the world. Brothers and sisters, we need to be taken captive by the truth of God's word. Don't be captive by anything else other than the truth of God's word. Don't be captive to bitterness or being captive by gossip. Not to be captive by any other thing other than what the scriptures are telling us to do. Because it's a word from God for us. Okay, moving on. The scriptures, however, take us beyond conviction to what we would call correction. Which is reconciliation and restoration. The scriptures not only teach us how to be made right with God. But also exhort us to pursue reconciliation and restoration to each other. To tolerate Grudges, inciting animosity, harboring bitterness, denies the biblical admonition of becoming peacemakers and reconcilers. I say this because I committed to six months and then you won't have me up here. (laughs) I can be bold and courageous, uh, almost, to say what needs to be said. Hear me out. We must be as passionate to receive God's grace as we are to give God's grace. Amen? That's how the scriptures are profitable for training in righteousness. The process begins of training in righteousness by being taught by the scriptures. And then we are corrected by the scriptures that can also are convicted by the scriptures and then also corrected by them so there can be unity. There can be reconciliation and restoration with God and others. These scriptures are truly profitable in many ways. Paul goes on. He says that the man of God, and uh, since we talk about women's ministry today, I got to be real careful here. That the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
To be made complete means to grow up, become mature, to be spiritually mature. This should be the lifelong goal of every Christian. Sadly, some Christians are satisfied to live off of old, stale, moldy manna that they ate many years ago in the desert. Paul says that can be an affliction. He said, for many of them are those who are always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. How sad to be a a scholar of window frames and not see the beauty of Christ through the window. We all need to feed ourselves daily on the bread of life and not depend on others, even your church, to pour more biblical information into our minds. We need to be a a man and woman of the word, a man and woman of God. And finally, we are made complete, he said. After that long process, when we've been made complete, what do we have? You're equipped for every good work. To be equipped is to be gifted, empowered by the Holy Spirit to be and to do whatever he calls us to be or do for the glory of God and the good of others. Equippers are menders of broken hearts as well as churches. The word mend or equip means to mend. The apostles were equipping their nets when Jesus came to them. It means to put together what has been torn. Now, my final words of conclusion. You heard Pastor Bill's prayer. How he prayed that the truth would spread like fire throughout the congregation. Maybe you need to be the judge of that. I'm not a good judge of that. One day at the beach is better than a month of debating futile and endless things. Some see window frames, while others see through the windows the beauty of Christ's face and the heart of God. My prayer for us is that we like Martin Luther, would, our conscience would be held captive by the word of God. Now, unlike that bony finger shaken by Billy Graham, let me sincerely ask you to bow your heads in prayer. In a moment of silent prayer, And I want to ask you to pray. Pray that God, by his Holy Spirit, will convict us of any of the things that have been an offense to God or to others. And if the Holy Spirit is prompting you, then I want you to pray. Quietly. Let's pray.
Father, if there are any prodigal sons or daughters like myself that were here this morning, we pray that your Holy Spirit will teach us from your word that you will convict us and correct us and train us in the way of righteousness so we can live for your glory and the good of others. Father, we thank you again for your word. How wonderful it is to see your beauty, to see the plan that you have for us, your purpose for us, to see the beauty of your Son. And as we look at the beauty of Christ, as we look deeply into his face, your word tells us we're transformed, we're changed. That's the power of the word, is transformation. Salvation, reconciliation, restoration, refreshment for our daily life. Lord, I pray that you will do a work here in this church that will be a testimony for good, a testimony of grace, a testimony of perseverance, a testimony of love that's been proven. May your Holy Spirit comfort us, console us, keep convicting us and correcting us because, Father, we want to be trained in righteousness. May your blessing be upon each parent, each grandparent, each son and daughter, grandson, granddaughter, Let the word of God leave a legacy for generations to come. We thank you now in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, Amen.